6. It's a psalm of, of thanksgiving, uh, a psalm of, of transformation. Psalm 126. That you'll find that on page 572 of the Old Testament section of the Bible in the pews. Psalm 126. But first, let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord, we give you thanks. Through this book, you've spoken to your people throughout the generations. We ask, dear Lord, that you would speak to us now. Quiet in our hearts, still our minds. Open our ears that we may hear what you would say to us. Now hear us as we pray. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 126 on page 572. 572 of the Old Testament section. The psalmist writes, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from the New Testament, from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 6. We're actually going to begin at verse 24. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor, not even Solomon in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will they not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So, don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself each day. There's enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
What are some of the things that you worry about? What are some of the things that keep you awake at night? You're lying in your bed, you're tossing and turning, and the things are just going over and over again. What are the things that wake you up at 3 a.m.? That's the time. It's like the witching hour, isn't it? At 3 a.m. It's the same for everybody. And you just can't seem to shake it and get back to sleep. There are things that many of us seem to be anxious about. We seem to live in a very, very anxious culture, a very anxious society. We're worried about absolutely everything. I looked, I looked yesterday, and I think, if I remember correctly, I'm close to 20% of the population of the United States it was actually 18%, say close to 20% of the population of the states have some type of anxiety condition or disorder. We live in the midst of a culture that struggles with various types of anxiety. Anxieties are a type of fear. And I was, I, 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 I was, as I was thinking about tonight, I went online and I found, and it's been a long time since I looked at this, but I found online a website called phobialist.com. Okay, scrolling, and I'm, I'm at the bottom. There it is there. It's page after page after page of different diagnosable or named phobias that people have. And phobias are, I'm not, I'm not belittling this. Please don't misunderstand me. I know phobias are very, very real, and, 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 and they're often for many people a source of anxiety, but there are so many different types of phobias. I want to share just a few of them and see if you can uh, uh, tell me what these different phobias are, starting with the A's. Um, ablutophobia. A-B-L-U-T-O. Ablutophobia. Any idea what that might mean? Say again. Balloons. balloons. No, not balloons. <laughs> Cleanliness. Fear of bathing. You know, you carry out your ablutions, right? Ablutophobia. You're, you're afraid of bathing. What about, what about, this, this is one that, 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 that I think some of you probably struggle with. Arachnophobia. That's a spider. But what about this one? What about this one? Electrophobia. Not electricity, electrophobia. With an A. Chickens. Fear of chickens. Let's find one at random here. Let's find another one. Let's see. Some of you should get this. Cardiophobia. Fear of the heart. You're scared of... I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> What about, uh, just a couple more, what about this one? Gymnophobia. Oh, it's actually not, but I think many people are afraid of going to the gym. Gymnophobia. Fear of being naked. Caligynophobia. What about that one? Caligynophobia. Sorry? With a K. Caligynophobia. Fear of beautiful women. 
I mean, and the list, I'm, going, I'm not going to do any more, that's enough. It goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Let's do one more, this is fun. Let's do this one, where is it? Scottophobia. No, it's actually not. <laughs> Scottophobia. It's fear of darkness. Put the lights out. Dave, and we'll be, we'll find out who the Scottophobes are. So anyway, that's enough of that. Um, but we live, we live in a society, don't we? Where every fear is named. And we struggle with different types of anxiety. And all of us do, I think at one level of another, have some type of either specific or, or generalized anxiety. And there's a sense in which this passage is, is very much talking about what do we do with this fear that we have? What do we do with these anxieties? And really the question that the passage opens with in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. It's a question about who's your master? Who is your Lord? Who is it that you're following? And what is your following based on? Is it based on fear? Or is it based on love? I mean, the, the example that's used is, is, is money. It's money. The, the great God, mammon. You're the almighty dollar. Well, really, when we think about that, our, our uh, attraction to money is not, and our devotion to money, it's not so much about what the money can get us, is it? It's what if we lose it? What if we don't have it anymore? So we store it and we stock it, and it's really about fear, isn't it? What is at the root of who we are and of what we do? Is it about love? Or is it about fear? It's interesting that in, uh, I, think it's in John, I think it's in one of John's epistles, we find this lovely little verse that says, Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. You can't serve two masters. You can't be living in love and be living in fear same time perfect love casts out fear in this passage that we read from uh, from Matthew's gospel from Matthew chapter 6 Jesus essentially uh, in some of these verses he, he he gives us he gives us five arguments I suppose five reasons why we shouldn't be anxious First of all, in verse 25, he essentially says, um, if God is the one who's given you life, God's the one who brought us all into this world, don't you think that God might also be the one who can give us what we need for each day? It's a question of trust, isn't it? Love and trust kind of go hand in hand. If God has brought us into the world, surely we can trust him to provide for what we need. The second thing is, is really in verse 26, 
where Jesus is talking about the birds of the air. Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, and yet your heavenly Father cares for, for them. They've got all that they need. In fact, there's a, there's a wee, there's a wee uh, a poem that was written many, many years ago. We actually have, a, a, I think it's a hand-stitched, cross-stitched thing on our, on our wall that has this poem on it. It's called The Robin and the Sparrow. Are any of you familiar with this? The Robin... Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well it seems quite plain to me that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. The birds aren't worried, goes Jesus' argument. Then why should we? Your father cares for them, as insignificant as they are. Don't you think he's going to care for you as well? In verse 27, he gives another reason. He said, worry is actually pointless. Worry is never going to add any time to your life. In fact, it's going to steal time for you. Time that you spend worrying is time that could be spent doing something else. Charles Spurgeon uh, was once famously quoted as saying, worry never, worry never added to tomorrow. Worry never solved tomorrow's problems. Worry never solved tomorrow's problems. It steals away today's strength. Worry steals away today's strength. We never end up with anything to show for our anxiety and for our worry. Then Jesus starts to talk about the flowers. How beautiful the flowers are, clothed in all the beautiful colors that they have. If God made them so lovely, as fleeting as they are, don't you think God is going to care for you? And then he makes a final argument where he, he says, worry is what the pagans do. It's what the godless people do. It's a lack of faith. He calls his, his disciples, oh you of little faith. They're not trusting in the one who made you, the one who cares for the birds, the one who's given you a purpose for your life, and the one who makes the flowers so beautiful. Trust in him from day to day rather than spending your time Worrying about what has happened or what may happen, what may never happen. Worry only steals from the strength that we have for today. There's a beautiful verse in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, where it says, You keep him, or you keep the one in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. In the old the King James Version it says, and I, I love the language, thou dost keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. And then Jesus points, he doesn't just simply give these arguments, why shouldn't you worry? He brings us to a place of, of, of 
of decision and brings us to a place of trust. A verse that may be familiar, that we just read from this passage. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a question of priorities. It's a question of priorities. It doesn't mean the kingdom of God and God's righteousness are the only things that we seek. If that were the case, those who preach the prosperity gospel would be right. All you need to do is place your trust in God and you're going to have absolutely everything you could ever want or dream or imagine. That's not how it works. I think we know that. It means seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Put that in its proper place and trust in God. And all these other things, it doesn't mean that we'll have an abundance, but everything will be put into its proper place and its proper context. When God is first, when God is first, seek first his kingdom. What does that mean? Well, someone's kingdom is where they rule, isn't it? It's where they're in charge. Seek God's kingdom. Recognize that God is the one who is in charge. God is the one who rules over all. We place ourselves into his kingdom, into his trust, into his hands, relying upon him to be the one who will provide for us his kingdom. And then it says, not only seek first his kingdom, but also his righteousness. What does that mean, to seek the righteousness of God? Well, there's a couple of ways that you can think about that. On the one hand, it can mean to do the things that God wants you to do. To be righteous, to live a righteous life, to live right, in other words. To do the right things. And sure, yes, enter into his kingdom and do what God wants you to do. That would make sense. But it's more than that. Scripture talks elsewhere about the righteousness of God being shown to us in one person. And that one person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is described as God's righteousness. And it talks about Christ giving that righteousness to us. It talks about our own righteousness being as filthy rags. Worthless, worth nothing. Unacceptable. And Christ gives to us the gift of, his, of himself. And his righteousness. And he makes us right before God. Because of who he is. And because of what he has done. When the passage says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it means look to Christ. Turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. And embrace and receive the righteousness that's ours only in him. That's God's righteousness. Again and again and again in the Bible, it, it encourages us to place our trust in Christ. And to become more and more like him. To become like God's son. Seek his kingdom 
and his righteousness. It means to become like him. And when we place our trust in him, it doesn't mean that our lives are, everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be fixed and there's going to be nothing to worry about. But what it does mean is that we are in God's hands and he is walking with us and he is leading us through whatever it is we're going through at any moment in our life. And we can trust him. And that's the safest place that we can be. And for that, we can give thanks. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.